so you, you like the cringe start where I did, where I was like, hey, everybody, even though it's literally not how I'm supposed to start, I'll keep this part in, because I just started again, so I'll keep it in. You like the cringe? Oh, wait, oh, crap, 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 I gotta change my recording path, because, uh, my out, my output, where, where's my recording path for this? It's to my downloads? Okay, I'll keep it on my hard drive, because I'm gonna be recording these now, and I just started recording the video, too, to post on my YouTube channel as well, so I can actually have YouTube content instead of just, you know, uh, Twitch content or, and podcast content. So, hi, p- people on the podcast that just heard my 30 seconds of rambling. I'm sorry about this. Um, I was gonna make an introduction this week about my Twitter feed, which I did some funny ha-has on this week. Um, Party Round, which is a startup which is a platform for other startups to raise money from, put their entire marketing budget into Zedron, which is an NFT racing game, um, and they won with their horse. So I replied to them asking if they should play Axie Infinity instead with their you know new allotment because of it, you know they're obviously going to have some success. And they pinged some random guy that I had no idea who he was, but he had like half a million followers and asked if um, he could teach them how to play. And the dude said yes. I said this on stream, and then my stream enlightened me to the fact that the guy that responded was the co-founder of Reddit, and I was just too ignorant to know that he was the co-founder of Reddit, and that's who was on my thread. So that was kind of funny. But then, the part that I did know was the Morning Brew CEO comes in as like, you know, count me in too. And I'm like, whoa, thanks for the TikTok content, guys, even though I don't even really post on TikTok. Uh, so yeah, now Party Round's going to be going into Axie Infinity just because of me. Everything said in the Theta Talk podcast is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and please talk with a professional investment advisor and do your own research before making any investment decisions. All right, let's do it. I think the first topic I wanted to say was uh, we were all panicking here in New England over uh, Hurricane Henri um, as it's come to the coast. I was mistakenly calling it Henry for a whole week because... I don't cover weather anymore, so I don't stay up to date with the pronunciation. So I just assumed it was Henry, and then I found out it was Henri this morning, and I was extremely embarrassed because it's French. Um, I was kind of panicking a couple days ago, like two nights ago, because the center was supposed to go right over our house. You know, we were probably going to lose power and that. And then it just comes in like over 100 miles to the east, and we literally got like nothing. It was so nice. It reminded me of like Faye from last year, where like everyone was kind of hyping it, and then like it kind of just whiffed at least where I am. So, the fact that I didn't have to lose power and, you know, go to, like, a motel to do work and stuff is kind of nice, to tell you the truth. The last time I did that was during Isaias last year, and the, the mini-fridge that I had in my room, like, right here, has still not been taken back in the house in the over a year since. It's still there on the back porch today, over a year later. So, I'm happy I didn't have to take anything else out of the house and just leave it there for over a year. And I am very relieved by that, but it's kind of a weird paradigm uh, with all these storms now, these tropical ones, because after Sandy in 2012, at least where I am, we didn't get hit by a storm for seven years. And then I go off to college, I'm at college, and we get hit by Melissa a little bit. And then last summer during COVID, we got slammed here. And then this summer, we get this, even though this was kind of a whiff. So, I mean, I kind of find it weird as soon as I'm in college, all this, you know, world-ending stuff starts happening up in, you know, the Northeast where I'm going to school and whatnot. But, you know, kind of whack when stuff happens. Yeah, that's my <laughs> hurricane stuff, please. Some positive news, too, on the personal life side of things is uh, I finished college for a couple weeks. If 
people might not know, obviously, but I was taking two college courses on compressed timetables during the second half of the summer, one of the first half. So it's essentially in 12 hours a week of college in class and like, you know, 15 to 25, like 15 to 25 hours outside of class, depending on the week. So it was like a deluge of work and I was like drained and like beat up and tired. And I was honestly feeling like really high levels of burnout as it, it kind of kept going. So having, I guess, this break now, even though it's only two and a half weeks, I start class on the seventh, I move into college on the sixth such a relief and it feels great to kind of just kick back a little bit you know relax feels nice ironically enough we literally like finish class on friday and then i literally have to spend like saturday trying to prepare for the storm which then just whiffs us so the the world just doesn't want to let up i guess my rest and relaxation you know r and r is just uh preparing for the future like imminently um about the market stuff because this, this is theta talk by the way i should say Welcome to Theta Talk, where you get premium for your time. Very funny, haha. You know? Uh, last week, and I don't normally talk about like direct stock market stuff, because I like to leave that to other people that do it, and I like to talk about more than niche stuff. But I do think it's important to talk a little bit about this part, was a uh, taper talk. You know, Jackson Hole is this week, so obviously it's on between the 26th to the 28th, and this comes out on the morning of the 23rd. So this is in the future, and everyone's going to be looking forward to seeing what they say. Uh, obviously, in the past week, they were talking a little bit about taper stuff, and the market was kind of chop as hell over that. It didn't like it. It obviously bounced back pretty sharply um, from the open on Thursday and into Friday. Like, it, we're literally down less than 1% from the all-time highs. Like, you know, it, it, the, the market doesn't care, but the breadth is pretty bad, to tell you the truth. Uh, the equal weight index is still really not breaking out that much so the, the you know the breadth is obviously pretty poor you know very much on high you know big tech stocks right now uh and most things are kind of you know lagging around a little bit which isn't really that great for you know broader based market moves up um you know the delta variant still kind of weighing on things a bit i know at least from my side coming back to college we haven't had i guess much in change like the rules and stuff for the past week or anything on what we're gonna have to do when we go there but, you know, it, it doesn't feel, I guess, great off the bat um, having to move back in in this environment because, you know, I'm fully vaxxed. Everyone there is going to have to be vaxxed unless they have, like, medical exemptions and stuff. But, you know, the environment around us isn't, like, as great as it was, obviously, two months ago. And that doesn't make you feel, like, the safest. But at the same time, I'm just super hyped to be interacting with my friends and stuff again um, and having the opportunity to kind of have some extra independence and live on my own again. Um, even though the meal plants at that school are going to be horrendous. Uh, fourth worst food in the country. Gotta love it. You know, it, it's great. Uh, but at least a little more about the taper part. You know, I, I, this was a really interesting thing I saw on Twitter, at least about it. Despite all the panic over taper talk back in 2013, the market had an insanely strong end to the year after that. Because the S&P was up over 15% and the NASDAQ finished up over 20% from that part of the year. So everyone gets fearful over stuff like that. But the last time it happened, the market ended up booming. And I'm not saying that will happen this time at all. Obviously, like, you know, past doesn't equal, you know, now. It's not like a perfect connection. But history does rhyme sometimes, even if it doesn't repeat. That's the saying. So I thought that was an interesting little feature to keep in mind heading forward. Uh, I guess a little bit, and this is kind of related to what I was saying about COVID too, 
and kind of the disruptions and stuff. Sea shipping, which we talked about last week in the soaring rates, uh, we didn't mention last week, but it is true that um, one of China's biggest ports, including the third biggest like seaport in the world, uh, is still facing capacity limitations for the Delta variant right now. Uh, one of the things I've noted through this, and, and it has continued at least in the past week, is these shipping companies, particularly the sea freight ones, are blowing expectations out of the water. And I want to give full disclosure that I own like four shares of Zim uh, integrated shipping, the tickers like ZIM, but they like exploded past uh, their estimates. They were expected to do $5.22 EPS um, and $1.77 billion in sales, and they did $7.38 EPS on $2.33 billion. And this is a company whose share price is, you know, $45 a show, and this market cap's like a little over $5 billion. So that part's kind of crazy. Because they raised their outlook for half two to be better than half one, which means based on that they're expecting at least a twenty-five dollar full year EPS, which is you know like around at least three billion dollar net income for them, which is pretty crazy. And I don't know if anyone else that's watching this uh, on the podcast or in the live chat is in any of these shipping companies, but their performance has been particularly obscene uh, within the past couple of quarters now. And I, the, the reason I talk about Zim in particular, not just the ownership part. But it's because the dividend policies that these companies are able to do when they get these extraordinarily outsized gains. I know Zim's giving a special dividend on the 24th, so that's going to be Tuesday, of $2 a share is the ex-dividend date for that on the 24th. But subject to board approval, they also said that they're going to be giving out 30 to 50% of 2021's EPS in dividends in 2022. So let's say they only do $25 a share EPS, they'd be giving out at least $7.5 per share in dividends next year, which is, I think, the last time I did the math on it. Um, from the current share price, at least, would be an over 16% yield, which is kind of crazy to, to reap that in uh, in such a short period of time. But if they go to the higher end, obviously the, yield, the yield's higher. And if they blow past expectations in the second half of the year, then those numbers both go up as well. So I, I, the, the reason I found it kind of crazy was like, you know, my savings right now are around $8,000 in my stock account, right? I got a little, I got like a thousand in Fundrise. I got around 8,000 in my, you know, personal long-term team stock account. You know, on my like $160, I could get $50 in dividends like next year, which is over half a percent return on my entire portfolio. I just thought that was kind of crazy because I have like a 2% allocation but I'll be able to get a, like over half a percent, you know, portfolio return, you know, dividend wise, just from that little allocation. And I thought that was just a little crazy, especially, you know, I, I like, you know, my, my value and stuff. So <laughs> the amount of free cash flow to do that kind of blew my socks off a little bit. At least the free cash flow yields and stuff that would be required to, to get those kind of numbers. That was just my take on it. Now, this is the topic that obviously everyone in Twitch chat is going to be keeping track of the most. I do think it's important to talk about this because of, you know, the broader ramifications. So stick with me on this one. You could say your thoughts on it as well. But I wanted to talk about the OnlyFans thing. You know, even though I'm sure mo like m almost no one, if not any, nobody in the chat actually uses the company, everyone knows about it, right? Uh, it was kind of crazy to hear, you know, that they did... 2 billion sales in 2020 and that they're or they did 2 billion in, in like transactions on the platform but they keep 20% of sales or, or transactions they had 400 million in revenue in 2020 but their net ratio 
or yeah, their net ratio or the net profit margin is 75%. So they made 300 million in net income. And obviously, you know, they were saying this year, like 650 million free cash flow and next year, 1.2 billion. Uh, but they were struggling to raise capital. And, and the timeline, at least when the, when the story was breaking, was, was kind of weird. Because you heard earlier in the morning, the day, like the, their news came out that they were banning NSFW content or, or you know, restricting it. Uh, though earlier in the morning, there was all the news about how they couldn't find investors at a billion dollar valuation, despite you know their, their cash flows and stuff. And everyone was like, "What was going on? This makes no sense." You know, why don't you you have a SPAC buy it and like all, all the, the the memers will you know buy it you know and fund it right? But then you hear later the day here here's the band drop, and everyone didn't get it at first. But the the reason is Mastercard is changing their policies on you know who they will process payments for starting October 1st. Because the thing with them is they're trying to step away and, and detach any risk from exploitation stuff, which makes sense for them. And, and the reasonable response, if you're know, if you someone looking from the outside, is, so what? Why would OnlyFans care? Literally no one uses MasterCard. And it is true that no one uses MasterCard. You will find almost nowhere that actually accepts them as a payment processor. But... It looks like it's a move to get ahead of, of the industry, like, changing its policies. Because all the companies are going to want to detach from that. We, you, you know, you've seen debacles for other sites and stuff uh, in the past. So if they lose, let's say, you know, Amex, Visa, you know, etc., way, way bigger problem for the company. So they, they're acting preemptively, you know, ahead of the curve from what they're seeing from, you know, the processors that they, they have to rely on. I will say, at least, and this is my take... Um, and I don't know what anyone else is going to say about it, but I wrote down here that despite the logic in the business view, because it's logic to protect a company, you know, uh, under that pretext, it sits wrong with me, at least that they built their platform specifically by catering, you know, to like NSFW workers and, and bringing them onto the platform and encouraging that only to immediately throw them to the curb with no recourse. Like that's bad PR. Uh, and it's just bad to those people, too, to tell you the truth. And, I mean, honestly, and, and this will be on the YouTube VOD, I'm not surprised, considering the work experience for their CEO, John Carl, he's the CEO of the company, uh, because from 2004 to 2008, this man was the director of risk management at Lehman Brothers. And, and you, you want to know what one is... Employment at Lehman Brothers stopped September of 2008. When did Lehman Brothers collapse? You know, just September in 2008. You know, it's it's just a thing. So it seems like he's pretty intent on, you know, creating the reputation. And, and the reason I point that out in particular is if they lose this particular, I guess, edge, right? Or it's not really an edge so much as a niche that they've just been able to cater into really strongly what competitive edge do they have over Patreon, which charges in between 8 to 12% or 5 to 12% when OnlyFans charges 20%? What competitive edge do they have? Not a big one. Not enough for creators to want to justify an extra 8% cut, right? Yeah. This person in chat saying all out OnlyFans? Yeah. I, I think I'm literally going to title this podcast Only Gone, you know, because I think that's what it is. This literally cripples them in a way because of the lack of foresight. They completely built themselves on this, you know, image, and then they're 
tearing it apart. So then you have to ask what edge do they have over, you know, other things. And it's it's hard to see that in the same way. So, I mean, obviously it's not a full ban uh, of the content. I You know, you're going to have to read the new TOS and stuff. It's not actually a complete ban. But the way it goes about it is just pushing away, you know, the, the actual people that made their platform, you know, a, a viable business. So at least in regards to risk management, good job on them. It, it's going to go great, you know. Uh, I, I fully believe that they won't go bust. And that is sarcasm. Uh, I guess a bit more about memes, too. Just because we were talking about uh, the CEO's past job experience. And this will be on the YouTube VOD, too. Is I, I want to bring this up in particular. Because I this blew my mind. A Florida man is suing for $1.7 million in punitive damages. And... $100 million against uh, all the defendants listed here, which is Ken Griffin, Citadel, uh, Citadel Connect Dark Pool, <laughs> um, the SEC, FINRA, which he spelt incorrectly, uh, the DTCC, Robinhood, and Weeple. This man lost $1.7 million trading AMC and GameStop. So he wants the you know these companies and everything to give him the 1.7 million dollars back because he claims that they were colluding to to crash the stock prices and stuff which obviously they're not going to have any evidence for and, and here's what he's doing here yeah he's he's requesting 1.7 million dollars in actual damages so that's how bad of a trader this guy was he lost 1.7 million dollars on amc and gamestop and other meme stocks and then he wants a hundred million dollars to punish the defendants in this case, so that they won't manipulate the dark pools and stuff to, to tank stocks. And obviously, this this isn't going to do anything, right? This obviously isn't going to do anything, this lawsuit. It will almost certainly get immediately thrown out. And the crazy part is this guy is is actually, like, on Twitter, too. He was taught, like, I'm going to my bookmarks really quick just to pull up this guy's uh, tweets. Oh, I'm on my wrong Twitter account. That That's why I can't find it the same way. Yeah, my, my title for the, the stream that we're hosting this on is Hurricane Party. We just did have a, a hurricane pass through Sorta, so it's a valid title. But about this Robin Hood guy, this is what he was tweeting. Like he's saying, I filed the lawsuit because the hedge funds and government should answer for their actions in a court of law. They profit from illegal actions the government finds and gets the cut and the apes, which are the investors, ended up eating the losses. But this this does this literally doesn't make a any sense when you're buying companies that are completely detached from their fair value and you're using gamma squeeze and stuff. And I, I don't I don't mean to hate on this guy, but he was saying in January specifically to telling people online to not sell their GameStop because it was going to hit a thousand dollars a share that week, the day after it peaked, mind you. He said this on January thirtieth when GameStop peaked on the twenty ninth. So that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth personally. But the fact that like people are suing to try to get the money they lost back on their like, you know, their their bad trades is crazy to me. Especially I mean, obviously they get thrown out, but the fact that they're doing that and not even spelling some of the things right, like he's trying to sue FINRA, but he didn't spell FINRA right in the, in the as a defendant. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. It it, it makes me laugh for real. And of course it's from Florida. People aren't smart, someone's saying in the chat. 
you're right. But I'd like to think that most people are smart. So seeing stuff like this just kind of breaks me a little bit, you know? Uh, and this is another weird one I have here about meme stocks too. This is a really interesting image. I'm going to pull up for the YouTube, but it is kind of true. And I noticed this back in May. Um, when Bitcoin started to fall, you know, and the cryptos market started to fall back in May, that's when meme stocks started to do really well again. And for a while, it's been, you can't really confirm it just because it isn't a long enough time frame yet to really tell if this is real. But there seems to be some sort of inverse relationship between meme stock price action and crypto price action. So that when meme stocks go up, cryptos drop and vice versa. And obviously that could just be rotation based on performance and stuff. And it's, you know, only really trackable since, you know, January, February. So you can't really track it too well because the time frame hasn't been nearly long enough to actually establish it fully. But I think one of the really interesting things has been to see this trend actually develop, really. Because it's continuing right now. You know, what's doing really poorly is Bitcoin continues to perform strongly right now. Crypto. Or what's doing poorly as Bitcoin's going up, sorry, meme stocks. They've had a pretty bad past couple weeks as Bitcoin's really come all the way back up, as this chart illustrates. So the inverse relationship there is something worth, I guess, looking into in the future. I mean, I don't know if Bitcoin's going to 100k. I thought it was getting close to 50k again, right? Uh, it's at like 48,600 something. So it had a pretty decent past few days. But I think the relationship between Bitcoin and crypto performance and, you know, other stocks within the meme space and like really speculative meme companies is kind of whack. And I think that's something worthwhile to keep track of. A few days ago, Bitcoin is 52k. Really? Did it, did it actually hit up that high? I see it here on this thing at a just shy of 50,000 that I have here. I don't see it at a... Um, quite at 52,000 for the person that put that in the chat. I'm just trying to see. I'm trying to swap around some of the other, like, you know, exchange that track it. No, I don't, I don't see it at that. But, I mean, Bitcoin's trend up and, and Ethereum, very, very strong. You know, I could pull up Ethereum. It, it, it's moved up much sharper than Bitcoin, still up around 90% or so. And welcome to the new people hopping in right now. Oh, I get you, person in chat. I get you. But... I mean, the crypto thing, especially Ethereum, I've been watching this pretty closely because uh, I've still been keeping track of the NFT stuff. Uh, we talked about Axie Infinity and kind of the cannibalization of their growth because the prices got too extreme last week. But the NFT space is not cooling off at all. And it still blows my mind every week to have to say this again and talk about this again. But it's still just getting bigger and bigger right now. Literally three weeks ago, no, less than that, maybe two weeks ago, we were talking here on this stream, in this podcast, about crypto rocks, or this ether rock thing, right? Yeah, the rock thing, exactly. Three weeks ago or two weeks ago, they were selling for $100,000. And it's rocks. It's literally a pet rock. And I, I won't lie. I find it personally insulting that pictures of the same rock skinned differently, so different colors and shading, sold, sold for $100,000, when you don't even get the handbook, you don't get the user manual when you buy an Ether rock. You just get the picture of the rock. Unless they give an actual user manual as well, like the original, I find it to be a scam. And I think the people deserve a user manual if they're going to dump all their money into it, just like the original. But despite that, 
the rock just keeps getting worth more. Look at this. The an ether rock a couple days ago. This is on August twenty, so two days ago, sold for four hundred thousand dollars. Four hundred thousand dollars. You could buy houses with that. Literal multiple homes with four hundred thousand dollars. And they're buying pictures of a blue rock. And and you want to know the crazy part? You want to know the crazy part? The cheapest rock right now, as of last night, the cheapest one of these was over $600,000. $600,000 for the cheapest rock that you can get online as these NFTs. The home I live in was bought for less than that. Like, what the fuck? And I'm sorry for swearing because I try to be more cordial when I'm recording my podcast. But literally, it's a PNG file of a rock. And they don't even have any differentiation between each other other than, like, the the color and the shading. Someone's saying, bruh. (laughs) Can I send a pet rock to Stocky? Someone else asked the stock guy. I don't think I can, dude. I would if I could. You know, maybe one day when I, you know, I, I have my own hedge fund someday or whatever, and I'm very, you know, successful, I'll, I'll send them one when this crashes and I can get one for five bucks. But I don't think I would ever want to touch something like this, other than a joke, you know? Not just any rock, an ether rock, says someone else. I mean, yeah, it, it's an ether rock. It, it hits different, you know? Someone else is swearing is a duty in critical conditions. This this was a critical moment. I I guess the the thing I wanted to say about this more broadly for the NFT space is the momentum isn't stopping, even though the growth in some of the, you know, first ones like Axie Infinity that were kind of carrying the resurgence have really, I guess, stalled in their growth pattern because the the monthly sales stuff just keeps exploding. You know, the, the crypto space just kind of keeps glowing up for the NFT market. And the person I just followed, I'm going to give them a sound effect on the YouTube recording, not on the podcast recording, saying, thank you so much for following the stream. We appreciate it. Um, But NFT trading volume this month is over a billion dollars already for the first time with over eight days to go as the time of recording this. Eight eight days left, and they're over a billion dollars as of, I think, two days ago. The weird part about this, and I'll show this graphic too because I think it, it shows something pretty interesting, is that it's completely carried on OpenSea. Back in March and February in the original shot, you know, Nifty Gateway was an equal competitor mostly with, um, you know, OpenSea, and you had, like, Foundation and, and Maker's Place and even, like, Super Rare holding decent chunks of the, the sales, like, market share. And right now, OpenSea is basically a monopoly, though. You know, out of the almost, as of August 21st, $1.25 billion in monthly sales as of, you know, for the month of August alone, and August isn't even done yet, OpenSea had literally over 95% of it, it looks like, which is crazy. They went from kind of being on equal footing, you know, with Nifty and, you know, having decent amount of market share to these other ones to just dominating nonstop. And they basically have cornered off this market. And it's very lucrative for them to, to have such an advantage as NFTs just keep exploding. You know, I, I think something that's really cool 
and I've seen this a bit more recently, because, uh, you know, I've seen it from Packy's, uh, like, you know, newsletter that he has a Substack. sorry. And, you know, even listening to Animal Spirits, they were talking a bit about it. He does this thing, there's a platform where you can, you know, raise money with other people online to buy certain NFTs that you can't afford to buy on your own. And then you all have, like, shares in it. And they're trying to raise, like, you know, 35 Ethereum to buy a CryptoPunk, for example. So, it, it, the fact that they can do stuff like that, too, I think is a pretty, I guess, social aspect of it. That's pretty cool. You know, I, I don't think it's just all insane when you can actually involve social aspects of it like that. Someone's saying uh, in the chat, if this year I set up my own crypto farm, I'll start something with NFTs as well. This is the question I still have, and we'll, we'll stop talking about NFTs right after this, but how do people decide that an NFT is just worth something now, right? Like, why is Pudgy Penguins, like, such a craze? Like, and there's probably all these other, like, projects that just don't have any traction, right? Like, what would make, you know, someone in chat making their own NFTs worth something when, you know, everything else isn't, right? That's what I don't get. I think to some extent it's like the social aspect in a way. It's like, can you get a group of people to, you know, make it a fad almost? And if you get that popularity, can you make it not a fad and actually make it into like a longer term cultural thing? And I, you know, and kind of monetize the pop culture aspect of it. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, buzz memes? Yeah. Like, I guess I'm wondering if the end game for cryptocurrency was just to spend it on memes, you know? It, it, it's fair to say that at the end of the day, that that's kind of the end goal of cryptocurrency is not to use it for real life things, but just for memes online. But I would hope that after all this effort and, you know, the melting of Greenland, that we get something a bit more productive out of it, you know? I can hope at the end of the day. I can't get what I want, though, all the time. You think the endgame's metaverse or VR, says uh, Nusagi in chat? I, I, this is the thing. People have a definition of metaverse. No one knows what it's going to be. Facebook's, like, BSing when they, they, they're talking about the metaverse and stuff. And, I'll, I'll, and I fully have a hot take on that because I think Facebook's losing the battle uh, on, on social media. I think they're losing ground. They've had, you know, Oculus for a while. They have been innovating and introducing new things, and they're losing ground. And this actually comes to the last note thing I had, at least for the regular part, before we're going to do a bit of a Q&A. And I want to hear your, everyone's take on this. Uh, but Discord is raising money right now at a $15 billion valuation, up $7 billion, up from $7 billion last year, so more than double. I personally think that Discord is a massive, massive sleeper, and they have a competitive advantage over their peers in, you know, pl communication platforms, because they're a social media platform and a community building place at the same time in a way that other places can't, like, match. Uh, someone's saying, good for Discord, Microsoft almost got a steal. Yeah, but they didn't, and I'm happy for that. I think Discord's huge down the line, personally. I, I think the growth potential for Discord is extremely untapped because they aren't contained to just gaming. They have way, way more that they can end up doing than just gaming. They actually introduced recently a new EDU feature, um, so colleges can you build communities and like a, a hub on Discord that people can communi communicate around for clubs, events, and stuff like that. And I, I, I think that's a huge thing. And it's really good because they're targeting you know their, their highest priority demographic at the same time. And I really, really, really like that. 
And it's not just, you know, you know, colleges. It's also businesses. You know, it's not just creator culture, which obviously I think gives them a big advantage because I think Discord is the best place to community build for content creators so that they can then monetize those people down the line, their, their you know, audience. But companies outside of that can also hop into this. I know Discord isn't boomer friendly like the person in chat saying right now. But I think they can grow to become something that anything can use and anyone can use, you know? Someone else is saying, you know, that they think Discord's a sleeper. It all depends on how they can market and attract different consumers. You want to see the new consumers that Discord has just attracted in the past week? You want to see this? Watch this. This is Discord's new customer. Wendy's. Your fast food chain Wendy's is a Discord customer. They have a Discord server, and I joined the Discord server to see what it was about. They have over 20,000 members in the Wendy's Discord server right now. Over 20,000. And they all love Wendy's pizza. They're all just spamming messages about Wendy's pizza here. They're real people. And they're all just vibing out, talking about Wendy's pizza and having a good time. Now, I will say in particular that Wendy's is kind of the, like the... Everyone talks about meme stocks, but at the end of the day, Wendy's is really the best meme stock ever. They are the OG meme stock, you know, with their ability to roast on Twitter um, to this and the Rick and Morty stuff. Wendy's also has a Twitch now, too. Like, re real talk. And I'll show this specifically for the people watching right now and for the YouTube channel. But they have a, a, a Twitch channel with over 100,000 followers. They play Genshin Impact, right? I, I think, though, you know, jokes aside, that this shows what Discord can do because they can get companies to come to them because they know it's a superior place to build brand loyalty. And I think that gives them a big competitive edge over other platforms that are trying to draw companies. But the fact that they're literally the go-to for every content creator to have a community place, I think puts them so far above their peers in a way that can't be matched. Because creator culture and monetizing, you know, creator culture in the future, it is the, like, the future for social media. You know, I, I think everyone sees it with, like, Minecraft, YouTube, Twitter, or whatever, which really isn't, like, hot, in my opinion. I don't like that. You know, I don't think that's a hot topic, and it'll probably fizzle. But I do think the monetizing and growth of creator culture is here to stay. You know, you, you ask a kid what do they want to do for, when they grow up, the top answer is being an influencer. And influencers have a huge actual space in the, you know, the economy and, and media going forward. They're a big disrupting force that's going to stay around, honestly. And I think, in my opinion at least, that they have on Discord not only the best place for those people to stay, but they're building out ways for you to monetize that audience on platform. Honestly, they're building out ways for you to monetize your users on Discord's platform directly. I know from last year when I was working with a partner server that Discord's implementing a feature in beta then, I don't know where it is now, where parts of Nitro boosts for servers past a certain point will be revenue shared with the owner of the server, the content creators. So they're building ways for you to actually make the Discord community a better place by, you know, more emotes, higher bandwidth, you know, call volume, stuff like that, while also being able to 
to give creators an additional source of income and also creating better monetization of the user base in general on Discord. So I really think there's a strong market there for Discord to continue to grow up. And honestly, as someone that's used Slack for work as well, this is, this is honestly my hottest take on the Discord thing. I really think Discord is a better place for workplace communication than Slack. Hands down. I, I really don't think there's a doubt about that in my mind. Especially now with the threads thing. Especially with the threads thing, because you can create temporary chat rooms now for specific projects and stuff on work, right? You know, you can make one that expires in a week if you have a deadline at a certain time frame, and then that chat room is gone. Discord is such a better place at segmenting communication rooms, uploading videos, and talking and talking video or voice on platform than Slack, in my opinion. And it's easier to use than Zoom, too. It is easier to use than Zoom, as someone said in the chat right here. You're completely correct about that. I, I fully agree with that. So I was saying, the only issue is you can't log into two accounts in Discord at once, so you can't keep personal and work life separate. But they can fix that. They can make it so you can just swap accounts. For example, I'll open up my Twitter thing. You know, you know, on Twitter, for example, you can be logged into one account at a time, but you just you know click on your profile thing and you can swap between accounts. That's a very easy feature for them to implement. But they can once the, there's enough demand for it. The reason they have it is because there isn't the demand there for it yet. But the moment there is, they'll be able to implement that pretty easily, right? Plus, also, you can just log into um, Discord your browser with a different account than you're using on your computer platform. And you can kind of use that. It's not the most acute thing, but still, yeah. I do think this is fair. Someone is asking, why would you need to, to log into two accounts at a time? And, and I do think that's a valid thing. Because it's not like, you know, your, your Twitter or your Instagram, where it's one page where everyone's seeing it. You're in different servers based on what you're doing and what you're interested in, whether it's work, social, whatever, or, or hobbies. But if you're in one server, not all the people there are going to be in the other servers you're in. So if you have a work server, it doesn't matter if you're using the same account to be in, like, you know, a video game server. Because if, your if one of your colleagues is there, hey, you got a friend to play some games with. But no one else is going to know. So it doesn't really matter the same way, if that makes any sense. At least in my opinion. And, and someone's saying they've already added, like, Clubhouse features. That's true. Discord moved into the stages thing with, like, kind of the, the audio thing. Like, the audio shows. And I think that's huge for community building as well. I think that's a, I think that's a big, you know, growth space for them to, to kind of build into that. Because, honestly, Clubhouse kind of, I think, stunted themselves very sharply by making it so you couldn't get in unless someone else invited you. While on Discord, not only can you join the servers you want to join... But the stages items and rooms, you can literally just hop into, right, on the search section. You can just find the, the audio rooms and just hop into them. And it gives you all these recommendation stuff, and it's super easy and super simple. Yeah, I know they've added public rooms. And I know for my server, at least when I'm doing some of my shows, right, like if I go into my showroom right now, right, um, to make a stage on Discord, and I, you know, make a topic, right, and I say talking about life, right? I'll just call it that. I can make it public. So literally anyone can go online, like online, can see this is something to potentially join. And I've just started the stage right now. I did three clicks and now people on 
Discord that aren't in my server can literally discover this. And ironically enough, three people that are watching the live stream right now have also just joined the audience, and one of them left, so thank you for them for leaving. But the two people that stayed, thank you. <laughs> but there's my point. It's that simple. And it's easy to use. Right? So, uh, you know, I know it's not really, I guess, pure finance or anything like that, but I really think that Discord kind of has a big edge in the social media wars between the platforms. I honestly think a combination of YouTube, Twitter, and Discord are, are really a way to potentially win the whole battle, you know, at the end of the day. I, I, I really think there's a possibility that Facebook as a, a company, as a whole company, from, you know, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, etc., can get squeezed out of this market down the line. I think that's a real, real possibility. And I don't know what anyone else thinks about it, but... It's not impossible. I think it's something that could definitely happen down the line at some point. So, you know, my my bear take on Facebook is is that, literally. And that's the end of the regular topics I had planned out here for the podcast here. We went through them a little quicker than we normally do. I guess we've set a longer pace lately. So I will do something that I kind of pledge to do, which is take some viewer Q&As that are watching live right now. I know a couple of people said they had some questions earlier. But let's just move on to the first question, because we actually do have a question here. And someone's asking, what's my favorite channel to get banned from? <laughs> Context, I'm pretty notorious for getting banned from Twitch channels just as a meme. Uh, that's actually a rough question. I think probably the, the favorite one was most likely Atriox. Just because his audience is actually, like, regularly smart, and there was a big meme to get a a actually banned there, because I sent it, in, I asked advice, like, they had an advice stream, and I asked how to, and I asked advice, and it was real advice that I was asking for, and they banned me as a meme. So that was, that was kind of funny, but, you know, it's kind of a meme. Uh, another question coming in from Lick saying, how can I make $10,000 day trading this week? Unless you already have, like, a million dollars. Good luck. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say, Lix. Because 99% of day traders don't beat the market, and if you're asking someone on Twitch, it's very doubtful that you will be successful in that endeavor. I don't mean to be rude, because I know you're just joking around and you're actually saying that seriously, but for anyone that might be watching, or for anyone that thinks that, that in their head, like that you know they're going to Twitch to ask for financial advice, don't do that. Like, for real. I think Twitch is a good place to learn some things. You're listening to the right people. I, but, you know, you don't want to be coming and asking people to, like, use their money and stuff like that on here, if that makes any sense. How did the hurricane affect you? I talked about it earlier in the podcast, actually, so you, you might have not heard this if you came in a bit later. But we got lucky here. We got really, really lucky here, Ryan at least, because two days ago, the forecast was saying the center was going to pass literally right over us. And I was fully anticipating to lose electricity, you know, kind of be screwed over, and kind of just have tough cookies. And the thing, you know, made landfall, ended up 100 miles east of where I am, and the wind was, like, nothing on the west side. So we got literally nothing here. And here I am with, like, no branches or twigs down, only a couple leaves knocked off of the trees, a little bit of rain, all good to go. And I'm pretty satisfied with that at the end of the day, you know? Someone has put in the Discord server a link saying, China-U.S. container shipping rates will sail past $20,000 to record. Is this like a confirmed thing that's already happened, or is this an estimate? It's from Reuters. 
So, let's see. I don't... I think they're expecting it to go this high. I don't think it's this high yet. I know from Shanghai to LA, it was like 10,400 last I saw. So this would have to almost double to, to reach this. However, I will say my Zim shares will be very happy if this ha if this occurs. Obviously, it's going to make pricing a lot more difficult for and margin compression higher concerns for companies that source internationally. So interesting to see that. Interesting to see that for sure. Um, someone else just followed as well. So I'll say uh, thank you very much for that. It's pretty cash money of you as well. Someone else also put a link in our Discord. Hackers hit a Japanese crypto exchange shilling nearly $100 million. They took from the exchange Liquid, 97 million of Ethereum and others. Oh. I mean, I fully stand by my take that, like, a lot of the crypto stuff is, like, bubbly and very speculative. And that, like, in a couple of years, like, the DeFi space and stuff, like, will probably, at least in my opinion, end up like the OTC market after 2008. I stand by that hot take. I'll, I'll permanently stand by that. Uh, someone's saying, uh, right here as a question, you've learned that the only way to beat the market is if you enter into a sector that will literally go to the moon exponentially. That's the only way to beat the market. I think there's other ways to beat the market than just that. Like, personally, I think if you're using derivatives in a smart way as hedging tools and not as speculative tools, you can gain pretty substantial alpha if you know how to use it. I, I we had a bigger talk about that, um... On th Friday's stream, we were just talking, but I could probably make it into a whole podcast episode as well and have people on to talk about that. So, I mean, it's an interesting topic. I think there's to learn about what, how people think they can gain alpha, you know? At the end of the day, you're just looking to beat the market. But if you're, you're talking hedge fund talk and you want to get clients, you have to be like, you know, I use a set of complex uh, strategies, including, you know, speculative derivative instruments to gain alpha upon the benchmark index. Hedge fund talk right there. There we go. Do we have any other questions, or are we good for the day, I think, for the, for the podcast stuff? And then I'm down to just kind of meme around after this. <laughs> this one's going to have to be edited a lot more than I usually edit these, because usually I kind of just, like, put one little cut in. But this one, at least, I'm going to have to put a few more cuts in the normal. Someone's saying, just become a crypto miner? I don't want to... No, real story, and I'll leave this in the podcast. When I was, like, 16, and crypto... 16 or younger, I forget. Crypto had just blown up, like, the first time. And I was like, oh, I want to get in. I want to get in. I want, I want to be a cryptocurrency miner. I want to mine Bitcoin, right? And I got for Christmas that year a USB Bitcoin miner, like a $99 thing that you plug into, like, your computer through a USB port, and it'll mine Bitcoin for you. I left it running overnight. And because I didn't know how to use the fan on my computer and it used so much computing power, I woke up the next morning to my hard drive being fried by the Bitcoin miner. And I had to spend $100 to send this thing to, like, Kentucky to have it repaired. And I never mined cryptocurrency again. And that was it. That was my for foray into cryptocurrency mining. It was a shame. I, tr I tried. I tried to get rich early on. I will say true story, and I do think this is kind of funny... I saw my chat logs, like, I was looking through my Discord, like, message history a couple months ago, like, my DMs, and I was literally, like, having complex, like, you know, conversations, like, text message conversations and calls with the spiffing Brit, the YouTuber, the spiffing Brit, about our cryptocurrency trading back in, like, 2017. And I was like, wait, I was at work one day at, like, the front desk of the tennis place I used to work at, 
and I instead of like doing anything because there was no work there, I was really DMing this guy on Discord on my laptop about like our like our crypto stuff that we were doing back in like 2017. And now I'm a guy on Twitch with 800 followers and a college student that's like doing just chill. And now he's got like over two million followers on, on subs on YouTube, and he's making all these awesome videos, and it's super funny. So I thought that was funny to recall. <laughs> oh God. Everyone's saying the first time they uh, found cryptocurrency, Dogecoin in 2017, Bitcoin in high school, back in the day. I didn't need an ASIC miner. I didn't get an ASIC miner, though. I got a, you know, a, a Bitcoin USB miner, you know? It was bad. I was bad with that, yeah. Someone else got into Bitcoin at $617. Why aren't you retired yet, man? Come on. You sold... You sold at 1900 Wow, weak hands, weak hands. Oh, terrible. So weak. Hey, weak hands or green hands at the end of the day. Don't, don't forget that. Weak hands or green hands. Diamond hands are losing hands at the end of the day. Uh, at least on speculative stuff, <laughs> you know. I, I still am someone that is like of like the the mindset of philosophy that like the most powerful thing you can do is have gains compound over many many years. So diamond hands kind of win like you know in that mentality, but knowing when to sell and ha knowing when to have weak hands is also part of the winning mentality, because at least in my mind it's more about avoiding the losers than getting every winner right. Because you miss a win and you'll feel bad, but you can get more in the future. But you you're stuck in a loser. Or you hit a loser and it drops off, you need to do a lot better to recover from that. So that's my kind of inverse relationship regarding that. But I think it's gonna wrap up the podcast recording part of this and we'll move on to a regular talk. But I do wanna say for everyone here that's watching right now on Twitch, thank you so, so much for being a part of this. And I'm gonna get the links here to plug this really quick. Because if you're watching this on Twitch, I'd highly, highly recommend following the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Because those are some places where you can get the edited down versions, better audio, you know, sound effects, stuff like that. The disclaimers, obviously. Um, and I really appreciate the support there because that's where I'm trying to grow this out. Because I do think that overall, this is a more professional way for me to share my thoughts on these things than normal live streams. So that's why I kind of do them. And it's also fun to collect all these ideas and share them. And if you're listening on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, wherever... Feel free to come to the Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash draftbacker. We record these right now on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. You know, I'd love to have you stop by to talk about these things. You know, hear your takes on them. Uh, because that's really why I love to do these live, is it's not just me talking. I get to hear the opinion of the audience at the same time about what we talk about. I think that's what makes it special. So to, you know, both audience groups, thank you so much for watching our fifth episode here. And I'll catch you next week for another recording. Peace out to the podcast.